My name is Rick Napier of Real People USA LLC, located in California, and our website is rpusa.org. Our telephone number is 602-805-7000. And Real People USA, we're the platform that uh, features uh, American First uh, Republican candidates that want to you know, make their, their country, their states, their, their local municipalities great again. And today we are so honored to have a candidate for the California governor's office. His name is Daniel Mercury. And so without further delay, I would like to welcome Daniel Mercury, who's running for governor of California on the line. So good afternoon, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, and I want to thank you for being a guest today on the Real People USA uh, podcast. I know you have a lot to say, a lot to talk about, and I just want to add that there's probably some things that you would love to talk about but can't, and I totally understand that. We had a 70-minute a conversation yesterday with, with a lot of details about how California is run and the good, bad, and the ugly, so I appreciate you for, for sharing that. But I know this podcast episode, you may not be able to say everything you uh, you mentioned, but I would like for you to give uh, listeners, not just in California, but nationwide, because, Daniel, as you know, uh, what they say, as California goes, so does the rest of the country. So this is a yes, great uh, opportunity many. for people around the country to see what they may have coming, because what's going on in California is just... I mean, in my opinion, a person who's been here, you know, for the most part since for about 34, 35 years, I would say officially, what's going on right here in California is totally unbelievable. So here's my first question, Daniel. Uh, please talk about how your faith plays a major role in your life and your decision to run for governor of California. Uh, well, when it comes to... My faith, I always tell people with every every speaking engagement that I go to that uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And Jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation of all that I do and everything um, in my decision making. And I know that offends a lot of people, and this is why, uh, first and foremost, you know, I have changed my platform from not just starve the government, feed the people, but also to here to offend you because the truth offends. And Jesus seems to be, you know, offending a lot of people nowadays um, because they don't want to be held accountable. And my faith is what keeps me motivated. And my faith in Jesus is what keeps me grounded. And I think also, too, um, you know, it's one of the main reasons that I've been able to identify what really is happening when you have that spirit of discernment. You're able to see the lie. You're able to see the inconsistencies when it comes to, you know, government transparency, when it comes to our leadership, when it comes to, you know, all these, uh, businesses and corporatists that have really, you know, run amok across our, uh, this is an amazing country. You know, I, I fought for this country and I love this country. Um, you know, I love California. I was born here and what I've been experiencing is not what I fought for. And having that spirit of discernment, having the Holy Spirit in me, you know, having faith in Jesus and not being and not shying away from that has given me strength to fight for what I know we are missing. And that is we are missing God. We have removed God completely out of our country. We have removed God, you know, completely out of our schools, um, you know, the breaking of the family um, that has really sort of just brought a deterioration to our state. 
um, to the Constitution, the state Constitution, our representatives. When you have God, there is an accountability um, that most of us who do not believe don't really have. I don't put my faith in man. I put my faith in God. Because I know at the end of the day, I'm going to have to stand before my maker. And, and it's difficult enough to live in a world just filled with sin. And when we remove God, then you're accountable to no one, which means you're going to do and you're going to engage and you're going to indulge all of the worldly things that we have been seeing right now, where it is just everyone seems to be drunk with power and drunk with money, and they are uh, accountable to no one. They are nothing more but swindlers and reprobates that we have standing in front of us that we give, you know, the consent to, you know, of the government, we give that authority to them to sort of handle the day in and day out of our states and our, and our you know, and our government. But they have, they have turned tyrannical. And I just can't stand on that anymore, especially after fighting, you know, and defending this country. I have proven myself to the people of my state, to the people of my country. I have proven myself. I have nothing more to prove. I did it honorably. Um, I believe you're a veteran as well. And as veterans, we, you know, we fought and swore an oath to the Constitution. And now I'm learning from a lot of veterans that are now retiring. They're getting out now. I've spoken to many senior chiefs in the Navy that uh, I'm friends with <clears throat> that are saying that they're having to reinstitute their oath. You only need to do it once, but they're making them do it again. And that mm -hmm. it's being told that it's a formality. It is not a formality. And that's not what it was when we went in. And it is still not a formality. It is, it, it is changing so fast and it is difficult for people to keep up a lot of people that are still in are now just saying you know what i'm going to take an early retirement they don't want to endure it anymore and uh and this is what i did not fight for i fought for sovereignty i fought for freedom um i fought to ensure that the constitution stays intact and that means god country family period that's right that's right and uh daniel please uh, just give uh, people a brief uh, history of your of your military uh, career. I know you you're in the Navy, but please elaborate about what you did in the military and what your job was, so people can get an understanding. And again, thank you for your service. And and I too uh, was in the military, the United States Air Force, for 12 years as a, a combat communications technician. But please uh, give our audience a little about little information on your military career. So I was in the, uh, well, let me thank you for your service as well. Um, I'm so appreciative that uh, veterans like you two are out there trying to get, uh, you know, good information, solid information, trying to interview those who have been silenced and stuff. So I really appreciate all the things that you're doing. Um, you know, I, I went in in 1998 into the military and uh, I served in Operation Southern Watch, Operation uh, Iraqi Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom. And uh, oddly enough, a lot, a lot of people look at the fact that Iraqi freedom started in uh, in uh, 2003, but it was actually 2002. Um, but it just wasn't announced until 2003. So, um, but I was out there, and so uh, a lot of my training had to do with search and rescue. So I was part of a um, search and rescue team. I was part of uh, HS4 Black Knights Helicopter Squadron Four, the Black Knights, and uh, you know we performed a lot of inserts and extracts and medevacs um, in uh, in theater. So again, you know, it was constantly in. Um, war zones um a lot of my training uh you know after boot camp i went straight to uh, i think it was um, air warfare school then it was air warfare sea school then it was air crew candidate school rescue swimmer school um then i went to seer school which is survival evasion resistance escape um, then i was chosen out of a handful of, uh, of uh, military uh search and rescue to do what's called desert environmental or dest d-e-s-t seer school so it was kind of more of an advanced training in that 
And then we, you know, a lot of uh, night training, uh, you know, trained with, uh, I did a lot of uh, PR 101 or personal recovery 101 with the Joint Task Force, Special Force training. Um, and this was all before I even got sent to the fleet. So I trained for about two years and three months before I was finally sent to the fleet and sent to my uh, primary command. And then from there, you know, uh, performed my duties. Uh, so, you know, I, I look back at that time and, and you know, it, there was, you know, it, it's one of those times that it's, it's difficult for me to talk about, but I would never change. And I served with a wonderful, wonderful men and women that uh, really gave, truly just gave everything uh, to their country. And um, I can't tell you the number of times where our life was on the line. And, you know, we didn't think about who was a Republican and who was a Democrat. We didn't think, you know, how many independents were there. We never cared about what party you were. We only cared that you were an American. That was it. You were our people and we were there to perform a job and service, uh, you know, that um, we felt was honorable. And we wanted to ensure that that's, you know, we were gonna fulfill that agreement, that oath. And, you know, for me, it kind of sickens me right now to see that people are not holding true to their oaths. And that's what it's there for because you set that oath is, is to set for, you know, the set of ideals that our forefathers put before us, you know, something greater than you, something greater than, than, you know, your personal endeavors, you know, your country, your family, you know, God. And, uh, and it just, you know, I, I was very proud to have served my country and it, it really, it really opened my mind up to the kind of person that I can be. Um, and that I actually had a brain. You know, I had wonderful people that uh, I, you know, I was in the barracks with, and uh, I had a close friend of mine. He he saw that I was struggling, and he, in studying some of these tests that we had to take when we were in the military, whether it was written or physical, he was he was just such a great guy. And he sat back and he had one of these photographic memories, <clears throat> and he looks at me and he's he says, "Oh, he says uh, you you've never learned how to learn." <laughs> and I don't know what it was about that. I had to learn how to learn first. And I never realized how it just, it was like a light bulb went on my head. And he was right. He was like, you're a lazy learner. Your, your mind works a different way. He was like, you're kind of a crammer. You got to take all the information and then you dump it afterwards. He was like, there's a way to kind of get through this. And when we were in the military, I had to learn about the aircraft. You had to learn it hard. You know, it was like in and out. So we had in the military what's called should, shall, and may, or oh no, shall, should, and may. And shall meant like you had to do it because somebody died. Should meant that you could get injury, but if you're in an emergency and you've got to kind of cut corners, go ahead. And may is, well, you know, if you've got time, but it's not necessary. These were like the important things of what we called the NATOPS manual because we always said it was written in blood. And I used to always struggle with some of the information because my rate in the Navy <clears throat> was always classified or secret. I couldn't just take it home and study the material. You know, it was, I had to know it and then I had to, I had to, I had to go out into the field and actually do it all based off of memory. And so he really helped break it down for me in how I needed to study. So I learned that I was a nonlinear learner, meaning that I needed to find interest, the most interesting things about the aircraft. And that's where I went to study first in that manual. So it was like a 2000 page manual, but I needed to go to the areas that interested me first. And then I'd go to the areas that would lead more questions. And he was there for a little bit, kind of guiding me through the process. And now learning is easy. Now I, you know, learning the laws now, it's difficult, but it's easy too. I'm understanding it now, I'm paying attention to the language. You know, I realized I don't need a degree. I still went to school, but I don't, I realized I'd rather be a self-educated man. So I learned a lot in the military and I will always cherish those, those days, those, those years, um, and everything I went through. 
for my country. And that's why, that's another reason why I've decided to jump into, you know, running for governor. When I, when I, I first initiated, jumped into Congress, uh, just because of all the, uh, the, the corruption going on in my district. But it led to exactly at the time with, uh, that came through, uh, with, uh, the coronavirus. So when we got locked down, my race had just ended. And I didn't, you know, I already didn't like Gavin. And it just kind of spilled over into me running into, um, I declared for the 2022. It just so happened that the 2021 took off. And so it would not have been advantageous for me not to jump into that. So of course I did. And a lot of people are, are like, well, so you're done. And they said, no, I had already set out for the 2022. I'm still holding true to what I initially set out to do. So I'm still in this race. And I have technically not stopped campaigning since Congress, since me attempting to run for Congress. So it's been over two years now, two about two and a half years. So you can say I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and I want to thank you for your <clears throat> your comments and your um, your history and career uh, uh, history about what you talked about. And I too, uh, just tell, I'm I'm sick to my stomach to what I'm seeing happening to our our state and our, and our country. And, uh, and just to let you know, my son just recently cut his military career short. He was an F-16. Mechanic had served oh, wow. in Saudi and Abu Dhabi and and along the DMV as an F-16 mechanic, and he cut his military career short about seven years before being officially able to retire. And I commend him on that because it just doesn't make sense to uh, serve under those conditions where you're not sure about the mission and you're not sure about the the leader's belief in country. It just doesn't make sense. And uh, so yes. it's just he did he did the right thing and I applaud him for it. And so there's no problems there. But here's my here's my next question, uh, Daniel, please discuss your platform agenda, which I think uh, that I know it's a huge agenda, but summarize the items and why you chose these these platform items. Well, predominantly, I'll speak uh, mostly just on just kind of keep it short in this area because it's a big one, which is predominantly to to clean house. Um, you know, we've we've got a lot of these representatives that have violated their oath of office. They have violated the California State Constitution under Article One, Section One, and Article um, um, Article One, Section Three, and uh, they they are going completely against uh, you know their constituents. What that has taught me is the fact that, you know, it made me wonder why are people being ignored? Why are our screams, um, you know, deafening screams? I can't tell you how many people, including people from the military, have, have called me asking for help. And I, I have to remind people and your listeners, I'm still a private citizen. I'm, I've not, I have no authority, have no power in the sense of, you know, government power. You know, uh, I need to be voted in. And, you know, and, and it's going to be an uphill battle. But my primary platform is to clean house it's to remove the people in office that have violated their oath that have um, willfully complicitly created legislative laws through the AB bills or SB bills that um, undermine the Constitution and the state Constitution blatantly but if you don't know the language you know the old saying is if you don't know the law there is no law and if you don't know your rights you have no rights and and when I tell people, you know, our board of supervisors up and down many of our counties, we have, I think, 58 counties in the state of California. They are blatantly not ignoring, uh, you know, the people who are coming to them. They're not paying attention to them. They're cutting their time short. Um, they are trying to meet in secret, which violates, you know, the California Brown Act. They're not permitted to do that. 
And I realized, why are they doing this? Why are they getting away with this? And it comes down really to contractual agreements. And, um, you know, so when people are going to them, uh, say, you know, the, the, the people are there when they go to the board of supervisors, city council members, or even school boards, or parents are showing up, they're all being demonized. But the problem is, is that they're there. Under section three, the people have the right to instruct their representatives. That's the key word is instruct. Petition their government for, for redresses, right? And grievances, a redress of grievances and assembly freely to consult. That's another key word is to consult, right? So they're there to be instructed and to be consulted, right? But they're, they're in violation and they're trying to wait out the people. And that tells me is, is that it's because I've learned that a lot of, a lot of our representatives um, are under contract. And that's dangerous because it, there's a small, I guess you could call it a loophole in the United States Constitution. Uh, I think it's under Article 1, Section 10. And, and the paraphrasing is, is that the states cannot come up with a contract that will prevent the fulfillment of a contract, right? So they, they can't come up with a law to prevent any sort of fulfillment. So that means that um, the right to a contract is not limited, right? So contracts have a wide range of being however they want. And when you put your representative into office, your representative on your behalf can sign these contracts. That's not what they're supposed to do. We operate in what we're supposed to operate in a free enterprise of an open market, right? A free market. The market will always, the free market will always take care of itself. When government intervenes, then government gives what's called a guaranteed contract. That guaranteed contract always has to be paid up by one group, the people. That's how it works. And your representatives either ignorantly know this, but not don't really understand the circumstances behind it, or they do, and they get their kickbacks, and they're all too happy to continue to engage in these fraudulent activities. So, so they're utilizing the pandemic to um, really, uh, you know, submit as many uh, bills and draft all these bills that are contractual agreements by corporatists, by super PACs, by PACs, by um, you know these lobbyists. Um, and, and, and the courts can't do anything about it because of the fact that they have to be able to fulfill the contract. So no legislative body is going to prevent it. No, uh, the federal or state or local level, in fact, they're going to gauge into it. So this is the problem that we're incurring. And this is why I say I'm going into clean house, and that is to nullify and remove all of these um, laws that do not harmonize. The Supreme Court has already ruled on this. Uh, I think it's a uh, Miranda versus Arizona, where the Supreme Court has already ruled that uh, any law that is not agreeable with the supreme laws of the land is null and void. Anything that is, is repugnant to the Constitution is also null and void. So there's plenty of court cases where this is, has already been ruled. Why are we having legislative body uh, bodies undermine our sovereignty and our freedoms and ignoring the people. And it is because of these guaranteed contracts that they make, whether they're there to buy a property, natural resources like our water supply. There are a lot of natural resources that have been bought up. Um, let's just use uh, Paramount as an example that has bought up uh, water or some of our natural resources when it comes to our water. They're not permitted to do that under the California State Constitution, Article 10 and 10A. It's not, they have no right to do that. And your legislative body has no right to actually create a contract for these, uh, these businesses or conglomerates to absorb the land that has natural resources. And if they do, the natural resource can't be controlled by them, but they're allowing for it because it's, they're, they're under a contract. And this is why a lot of times your newly representative who gets into office, um, it does a 180. It is because they were already bought out 
way beforehand. They were already pre-bought during their, their run for office. So a lot of these things start to happen. Um, if you start rattling the right cages, you will be approached by all of these corporatists and technocrats and representatives. They will send their, these, these candidates. They'll blanket the landscape and they will send these candidates contracts. And many of these contracts will say within there that if we endorse you, you have to take our money. And it, and it says it in many different ways. It says it in different kinds of fashions, but it ultimately, it ultimately means the same thing, that they are there um, to endorse you and to you know, contribute to your campaign, provided that um, you, know, you take what they give you. And it's a, it's really it's really strange that it be written that way. And then they give you a bunch of you know little you know U.S. codes down below. And though I had looked up some of these codes, and of course some of these codes are, are basically saying that um, they can put a gag, they can they can um, they can force you to fulfill their agreement. So if you get taken to court by these um, super PACs, um, if you say or do anything against them, and they take you to court, the courts will put a gag order on it. So you never really hear about it, right? Because the courts because it's per the contract. So now the courts have to abide by it as well. These are the things that people do not see and understand and why I'm realizing that it's falling on deaf ears. And um, if we look at, uh, I think if we, if we look at uh, the voting machines, the voting machines are the same way. The, the Dominion and some of these front companies that you know build the systems uh, went into our counties in some of our cities that maybe are hurting for you know, a, a larger sum for their fiscal year. Um, gave them a contract. Well, some of these contracts say, if you, I think if you go up, say, uh, near Kingsburg, you, you will find that um, some of the adjacent cities uh, got into a contract that stipulate that they cannot remove the, um, the voting machines and that they cannot audit the machines because mm-hmm. of the contract. So you're, so everybody's saying, stop using them, get rid of them. Your representative is not going to do that. They're not permitted to. So they're not breaking the law, and they, and they don't have to worry about going to jail per se because of the fact of the contract. So this is this is why we need a new representative, new governor who actually understands how we're going to get around this. But that's why everything is falling on deaf ears, and it goes so much deeper. But who's going to do this? Right? Who's going to pass the root? And this this is where I have addressed my platform to not only say I'm here to starve the government, feed the people, but I'm also here to defend you to tell you the truth to let you know what's really happening. You don't have to like it. You can hate me all you want. But at the end of the day, I'm going to fight to ensure that you have your, your freedom and ability to choose, not be forced or cornered cor- on you. Wow, wow. And I know you added more to this conversation about this question last night, but let's move on to question three, because in California, I started smelling a rat. I mean, a big rat, <laughs> a East Coast big rat, by the way, Daniel, <laughs> uh, about maybe, I guess, about 10 to 15 years ago when when candidates would run. And I would see rallies all over the place, all over the state. When I used to work in corporate America, I used to you know, travel from San Diego all the way up to the, to the state border with Oregon. And I would see these rallies. I'd listen to these radio shows and people were fired up and there were large crowds. And then the person running would end up losing. And I just scratched my head. I said, you know, I'm seeing these shirts. I'm seeing, you know, the, the spirit. I'm seeing the, the motivation. I, I see people very, very excited. And then on the other side, on the Democrat side, I would see nothing. But their side would win. So please talk about recall, the, the latest one if you want to talk about that, and the election process 
in California. So uh, California residents and people listening around the country, they can know how this how corrupt the system is. Uh, that's, I mean, I think we all know that that's kind of an understatement when it comes to the, the corruption, to the integrity of our election. Um, I mean, one just has to look at, for instance, you know, when we were locked down, everybody understands, or if you don't understand, let me express to the fact that COVID-19 is being utilized and was utilized to um, to basically be the, the culprit to locking us down so that they could steal the election because of the fear-mongering of whether or not you were going to catch a virus, a deadly virus, and so on, <clears throat> which we all know is there's so many inconsistencies, there's so many holes in the argument, you know, I can drive a Hummer right through it. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, all you have to do is, is look at the trails of things and look at, you know, when we were placed in order. So if you look at N6720, executive order by Gavin Newsom, um, that came in March. And in there, it said that he wanted to, you know, he wanted to empower the people to be able to still vote from home by absentee ballot. And that right there um, allows for a stolen election because there's there's very little eyes. Everybody is, is in fear. Nobody wants to, you know, go out. Um, so they're just they're going to do it. They're going to do it by mail. And so when I was running for office uh, during during special election, I can't tell you, I, I, I stopped answering my phone because people were calling me, showing me that my name's my name was not on the on the voting machine. They were standing right in front of it going, Daniel, look, your name is not even on the machine. And this was in multiple different counties. And there's nothing that I can do about it. This this goes to show you that you know you, you, the sec that that falls under the SOS right the Secretary of State that's their responsibility to ensure that you know the counties have everything in order and there's no there's not going to be anything there's no faultiness right but that didn't happen and when you look at N sixty seven twenty when we were shut down in March th there was already things laid out for this and so AB eight sixty came out well almost every single representative that includes the Republicans all signed off on AB eight sixty. So they all supported, one, the lockdown, and two, they supported the mail-in absentee ballot. This just goes to show you the ignorance that they either willfully knew what was going on or they were part of, uh, part of the problem. And, and they, they encouraged it. But then they wanted to come out later on and say, you know, well, we just didn't really care. You know, we just, you know, we, we didn't think that Gavin Newsom was going to be drunk with power. That's nonsense. Um, you, you can't be that ignorant. And so this was some of the issues that were, were kind of happening behind the scenes. So this was all sort of easily very, um, you know, quite honestly laid out. And so um, the other thing, too, is, is what a lot of people don't understand, too, is that your voter registry, your, your county clerk, that county clerk is the one person that everybody needs to truly focus on. Because if we talk about, well, we can take the state back at the local level, that county registry, most people don't realize, is voted in by the people. So when people do down ballot voting, they really don't understand that that county clerk is key. The county clerk is the one who's in charge of all the mail and uh, absentee ballot boxes. So who gives those keys out so that they can go in and they can open it up? They're either tied to the to the post office or they have their own people, and it, and it can be one and the same, or it can be a, a mixture of the two. If it's a county registry, they're voted in by um, they're they're, uh, they're selected by your city council. So it just depends on the county that you're in. Those are key people. And those that's where a lot of the corruption sets in. Who is that person and who is in the office and who's allowing for this to happen? And this is why, again, they utilized the pandemic so that people were too afraid to go in so that there would no be no eyes on 
these ballot boxes, the post office, and of course the deliverables that are eventually then counted and sent to the SOS um, for a final count. So we have no accountability. So again, it's one of these things that people don't realize how deep it goes. And when they say, well, I just don't care for politics. I don't want to get involved. I just don't, I just don't, uh, you know, it's all corrupt. Well, then you're, you're allowing for it to continue to corrupt because last time I checked and you can, you can agree or disagree, but everything is political, right? If you go shopping, the amount of, you know, if you complain about the prices of things, that's political, right? If you're going into the gas pump, that's political, right? Uh, you know, all the taxes that we have to pay on our land or property. That's political. Everything is political. So you can't say, oh, I just don't like politics. I don't deal with it because, you know, I don't have anything to do with it. And then you lost your job because of COVID or because you didn't, you didn't, uh, you know, you, you, you weren't happy to go along with the, uh, the mandates. That's political. So it starts in our elections and the recall was a huge, uh, was just a huge dog and pony show. <laughs> so this is why, again, um, we really have to take a step back. It's not enough that we have signatures. Um, you know, some of the people on the tail end of it, I tell them that, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about, um, all the signatures that were happening, I went around to all the tables. A lot of people are like, I never saw you at the tables. And I was like, I was there. I got photos of me there and talking to people and finding out who was signing it. And it was more Democrats. But, but, we could have had, you know, 10 million. It wouldn't have been 2.1 million. It would have been 10 million. But mm-hmm. some of the people who even started the, who started the recall were part of the problem as well because they were tied to the California GOP. The GOP never came out to endorse a single candidate for the recall. You have to ask yourself, why? Why would the California GOP not come out to endorse any of the candidates? The California GOP and the, Cal- and the CRA <clears throat> their job is to vet the candidates and support and help the candidates, whether it's through giving them extra body in particular counties, helping them with uh, mail-in, you know, mail-in um, mail-outs to you know uh, voters who are registered in that county or those cities, uh, to also donate to their campaign. The California GOP kept millions of dollars last year when they were donated to. And they only gave out, I think, you know, 15% and they kept the rest for themselves. Where'd that money go? Well, I was, I was rattling the right cages being notified by the California GOP who called my campaign. I didn't call them. They called me and they flat out told me before they even announced that they weren't going to, uh, I have an article here that they said that they weren't going to endorse anybody. I knew all of that beforehand and I was being told to just use my veteran status to raise money. So that I could donate to them and they would help me out over a particular time to kind of build up my name um, so that I could, you know, be somebody that they felt like that they could trust through raising money. This is why some kids come out, you see them all the time, like John Cox. That man has been running since before I was born. He's what you call a perennial candidate, right? He raises money then he disappears into the void. And that's how he makes his money and he pulls a lot of votes away. Stop voting for people like that. Right? It, it has nothing like people will say at some point in time you have to stop running. So I've technically only ran twice if you want to count the special election, but initially I set up for 2022. Right? I'm not going to make a career out of constantly running. This man has been running and I'm 45. So he's technically been running since about the time I was born. At some point in time, you have to realize you've got a lot of uh, rhinos, uh, even amongst the candidates that are really distractions that are part of, um, you know, the left, the DNC. And so our California GOP is no better than the DNC. 
they are part of the problem. They wanted me to just to raise money so that I could continue to benefit them and then they would, you know, they would make things happen on the side. And then they went out and they endorsed no, they didn't even endorse Larry Elder. And then even Kevin Kiley ran for, you know, uh, who's a Republican representative, which he's not, he's a rhino. I have plenty of videos to prove this to all your listeners. If they're not sure, uh, they can go onto my YouTube channel and you will see a, a number of videos that I speak on about him. I've got others where he's being approached about why he signed off an AB860 and he avoids, um, he avoids the question. I've got three videos of him doing that. And it's like, why don't you just sit there and say, here's my card. We can talk more about it later. I'm in a hurry. He doesn't do that. He ignores his constituents. But the point is, is that the Republicans, um, senators and assemblymen did not get behind him as well. They never came out and stood out publicly at any of his speaking engagements and said, we're supporting one of our own. Let's take back this state. And, and, and then the GOP didn't even come out with Larry Elder and say, we are backing Larry Elder. So again, there, there are a lot of inconsistencies. There are a lot of things that I have that, you know, again, not to get too deep into just because we could go on all day about this, but um, I always tell people the California GOP, I hate to say this, is garbage. They do nothing. They did nothing. They support no one but their own agenda. And their agenda is to leave the status quo the way it is because they too are tied to contractual agreements with these corporatists to ensure that particular candidates are going to side with them in such a way that they, they own them. They can't just say, okay, you're going to help us out and hope that you're the candidate that will still continue to swing things their way. They want to make sure it's under contract because mm -hmm. now they own you. It has to be that way. That's why, that's why it's such a corrupt thing. That's why I encourage people, listen, break away from the California GOP. Break away from the CRA. Start creating your own patriotic groups that support the Constitution and the state constitution, freedom and sovereignty, and a free market. That's what you want. That's the person you want. Don't worry about how they're registered. Honestly, I, I mean, people are like, you're re registered. Yes, because unfortunately, you know, the way the system set up, you got to kind of pick one or the other. Um, people are still sort of stuck into this, you know, we didn't be running, but the, the, the but it's one of these areas that people are, are uncertain about. Do your research and homework and look at every candidate before you vote. Don't just go, well, the California GOP said this or uh, the mainstream media told you this. If you're disenfranchised, get off your butt and stop being disenfranchised. That means they want. If you're disenfranchised, go vote. You're the problem. They got you. They won. They defeated you. They got you to not do anything. That's good for them. Because it's easier to control 10 million votes than it is 40 million votes, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to separate those numbers and get everyone, you know, in different sorts of factions, right? Whether you're Red Party, Green Party, Purple Party, Silver Party, Whip Party, Labor Party. There's so many. I think there's like 175 parties in the state, right? And, and, and we wonder why we're so divided into so many different factions. So this, this, this adds to the corruption when it comes to our elections integrity because we're not all on this page. But the left is, that's their own. They do not care. That's right. That's right. And uh, some of the things that you mentioned just now, I've, I've heard of, of those, those items about some inconsistencies and inconsistencies and doubts I had about why California, the California GOP is run a certain way. But I just said, I, I would just say you added the, the, the final pieces that I did not know. So, Daniel, here's my next question. California Constitution, 
as you mentioned uh, yesterday, and what I and also what I heard you mention on the on an IG in, Instagram video interview you did, uh, it forbids uh, shutdowns, vaccine mandates, loss of personal sovereignty. And uh, if you can talk about those those these shutdowns with the mandates and and especially the loss of personal sovereignty, according to this uh, the Supreme Court uh, patent case. <clears throat> so. When you look at, if we just start off with, um, let's just say, um, well, it kind of goes into the, the vaccinations uh, a little bit. But uh, if, if you look at, uh, I think it's um, the 14th Amendment, and it talks about, um, let's see here, that uh, everybody has a right to um, personal life, liberty, and property without due process of law. So, so. Mm-hmm nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, um, or property without due process of law. Um, what's happening here is, is is that our privacy is being eroded. And when you look at the California Constitution under uh, Article 1, Section 1, that all people are by nature free and independent and have inalienable rights. Among these are enjoying and defending life, liberty, acquiring, processing, and protecting property. Right, that's a keyword property and pursuing and obtaining safety, happiness, and keyword privacy. Right, so we have to look at the two words, which is property, and you have to look at privacy. Right, and your ability to acquire and to defend. Right, this is why they're having a hard time with Second Amendment. All these mandates and all these regulations um, are disruptive to your privacy because they're using it in the name of health. So it's very disruptive, and and it infringes upon. Uh, your ability to to have privacy in your presence, right? in your property, in your place. So all these things um, are against and are repugnant to state constitution and constitution. What's happening that a lot of people don't understand that also is another reason why your representatives are ignoring you is because of the fact that, um, and a lot of people are going to have a hard time swallowing this pill, so just kind of bear with me here. When you look at the Supreme Court case um, of... Associates for Molecular Pathology versus uh, Myriad of Genetics. That is a, a very important case. Um, that case has to deal with um, what's called complementary DNA that can be manipulated or um, through through mRNA, right? Meaning a cluster that's created in the lab. The argument was was that um, Associate Pathology wanted to uh, patent DNA. The problem is is that it was a product of nature and it was natural. So the Supreme Court ruled that, well, you can't patent DNA. It's a part of nature. So it goes against also, you know, your, your sovereignty, right? You're sovereign citizens. And, and not to get into it, but it, it basically, because you're, you have inalienable rights and you are a sovereign, you are a U.S. national. So when people fill out forms that say, are you a citizen or are you, a, you know, uh, or a resident, you're neither. And that gets into a whole other art, uh, you know, conversation we can have in another interview. But um, you, you are natural. You are, you are a, a, a national, a U.S. national with natural-born, God-given, inalienable rights. So that's protected under the Constitution and the state Constitution. This court case agrees to that and says, yeah, you can't, you can't patent that because it's a product of nature and it's natural. Right? That'd be trying to patent like water and air. It's never going to happen. But they did agree that you can patent complementary DNA or known as cDNA only so long as it's been modified through a uh, uh, genetic genome manipulation in the lab using mRNA 
and that it's patent eligible. So the patent holders then, therefore, control whatever's been injected into a person or an animal or anything else. So, and, and people think, oh, this isn't a real case. No, it is. You can dig it up. It's available. <clears throat> you can go into the archives in the Supreme Court. It's right there. This was back in 2010, but of course they've been messing around with this since before 2000. It wasn't until that they realized that they could isolate certain genomes in, in the body using a messenger. And they realized that they could, they could manipulate the DNA. So when a lot of people say, well, vaccines don't do that, I would totally agree with them according to what we know. Vaccines don't do this, but you're not taking a vaccine. You're taking a vaccine, you're taking gene therapy labeled as a vaccine. And that falls under contractual agreements, meaning that they don't have to tell you anything. It's known as legal fraudulent concealment, right? So the right to a contract is not limited, which means that, um, which means that any kind of contract that the state makes with Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, Right. Those contracts, there's the, the right to a contract is not limited. So they have the right to hide certain things. And a quick example is you always have to opt out. You never have to opt in. Kind of like with your phone, AT&T, wireless, right? All of a sudden you're paying 170 instead of 140. And you're like, wait, what, what happened here? That's probably because they inundated you with a ton of junk mail. And then in one of those junk mails that you, or you emails that you thought was junk mail was actually them changing your plan. Because, you know, your, your two year, you know, plan was over with and now they're gonna, they're gonna raise your premiums, right? And unless you say something, then they're just gonna do it. That means you have to opt out. So you have to call in and opt out. Well, it's the same thing. It's a contractual agreement. So everything works in reverse, right? This is why when they read you your Miranda rights, right? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. They never say for you, in support of you, to help you. It's always against you. So everything is a little bit as backwards here. And so when you look at the, the Supreme Court, they ruled that that uh, um, that DNA can only be patented if you change it using mRNA. So so the court's not going to go through three years of this lawsuit and then finally make a, a final ruling. This is now in set in stone. So if you take the vaccine that's truly a gene therapy, you have now changed your DNA to be what's called complementary DNA through mRNA or a messenger created in the lab. That's exactly what this is. This is what Moderna has done. This is what Pfizer done. If you go on the Moderna website, you also say they, they don't call it a vaccine. They call it an operating system, which <laughs> goes down another rabbit hole. What this does, though, is it re- removes now your rights as a naturalized person. You now become what's called property. Well, property has no rights. Property cannot fight for property. So now Article 1, Section 1 of the state constitution and, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Fourth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, right? None of this, uh, uh, none of this uh, um, is helpful to you because your property, because now the patent holders own what you willfully changed because they were allowed to engage in legal fraudulent concealment. I mean, they, they hid what is in and the ingredients of what's in the vaccine mm-hmm. and so now your right to be a sovereign citizen has been removed they don't have to do what you want they don't care that you're screaming to high heaven they're never going to do it and this is why my platform has changed to removing everybody out of office because all of my policies are available on my website i think i have like 25 different kinds of policies whether it's homeless the second amendment 
you know, medical freedom, all this stuff, it's all on there. It all aligns with uh, the Constitution, state constitution. They harmonize. They are in agreement. So any changes I want to do are agreeable. So, and, and here's the thing. Even some of the candidates have very similar policies, right? There's only so many ways, you know, that you can get to the number four, right? Two plus two is four. Three plus one is four. You know, whatever. You can get to four so many different ways. So there's there's only going to be so many solid answers that we can come to when it comes to, you know, certain issues that have to deal with our, you know, our problems that we have in the state. The problem isn't the fact that we have homeless and, you know, um, you know got issues with going on with, you know, our crops or water or anything. It has to do with our politicians, that's why a governor who gets into office cannot negotiate with the reprobates that are currently there in position, you know, uh, trying to think that, you know, you're going to take a clean glass of water and you're going to clean up all the muddy water. It's not going to happen. It's so saturated with sellouts, they have to be removed. And they can be forcibly removed lawfully under the Constitution and state Constitution. But nobody has the gumption to do this. And they are eroding your rights through the vaccination and nobody knows this nobody really truly understands this and it sounds so fantastical it sounds so conspiratorial that people just dismiss it but this is why people are dying and it's not being reported under the vares um the inconsistencies i always tell people if you look at the inconsistencies under the fda um and you look at what the fda said um back in november 2020 when they were looking you know to get emergency use authorization um pfizer uh, has it in there, and I think it's on page 41, where they're talking about that, that within a seven-day period, that it was possible that the, um, that the imbalance is suspected that COVID-19 cases occur in the seven days uh, post-vaccination represents vaccines, um, reactive genicity with symptoms that overlap with those of COVID-19. What they're saying is, is that if you came in and you didn't, and you didn't actually have COVID, and then they gave you the vaccine, or maybe you did have COVID and they gave you the vaccine, but they weren't sure because it says up at the top that they were suspected but unconfirmed. I don't know why they didn't do that, but if they gave you the vaccine and you came back in seven days and you showed symptoms, they didn't know if they gave it to you or if you contracted it from, you know, an outside person. So they're telling you, listen, we, we listen, there's a, there's about out of the 3,410 cases, 10%, which is a little over 400, um, came back and they couldn't tell. If, gosh, did we give it to them? Did the vaccine give it to them? Or did, or did they contract it from somebody, you know, their next door neighbor or kid that, you know, sneezed on them? We have no idea. So if you don't, that's high. 10%, that's a huge number. So now multiply that by what's going on, you know, right now. And, and, and right now, the virus is, is conservatively low. Mm-hmm. It, it's much higher, right? The numbers are way higher. But they're they're not getting reported, or they're getting silenced, right? So, and this goes into our children. So, people who are taking this are not only just getting their, you know, getting sick from it and getting and actually being given COVID. They're also losing their sovereignty and their ability to to own property because they've become property because they changed their genome through using mRNA. This is why people are ill for you know anywhere from two to thirty days. I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, man, dude, okay, dude, if you're going to get it, brother, you better stay home for at least a couple of days. So people are preparing to take time off from work to get their injection, and then they're, they're, they, they're at home because their chest is heavy or they've got the shakes or the fevers or something. 
So I'm even looking at reports right now where whatever is being sent out by Moderna, Johnson Johnson, and Pfizer, that the the amount of what's in some of these vials are not the same, mm-hmm. and it's random. Yes. So I'm, you know, and again, I'm like, okay, well, why is this? And that is because each of these companies do not want to be completely hammered. It looks too ran. It looks too random, right? A couple of bad kit, bad batches here. A couple there but it's all it's all within the risk assessment right so you're losing your sovereignty now why do they want the children because children that are born in the sovereign nation are born sovereigns they're born u.s nationals they're a national but you got to get them at an early stage so then what they did was is they okayed the procedure for our children the problem is is that they use the word immunobridging so they understood that they they even say the fda specifically says on the uh, June 10th, 2021 um, uh, advisory committee meeting, that the FDA acknowledges that direct demonstration of uh, effectiveness in field efficacy trials may not be feasible in pediatric politi- um, population. That means they know that, that parents, good parents, aren't going to bring their kids willfully to say, yeah, you can use my child as a guinea pig. So then what they do is, is they agree that p- the p- um they, they can infer the information on pediatric populations by immunobridging. And all immunobridging is, is just taking all the numbers from one particular case of adults, irrelevant if it was COVID or something else, all immunobridging is, is just taking one number from one group that did a placebo test of the right way, and then they just inferred all the information in a computer-generated model. And then they looked at the numbers, and then they handed off to their colleagues, and if they all kind of in agreement, with all these big organizations like the WHO, then they go, yeah, it's good. You can go ahead and give it out based off of numbers. So now we're injecting our kids who are living in their sovereignty and having their genomes changed with this gene therapy that's labeled as a vaccine. It's all garbage. And this is the stuff that I'm willing, that I'm going to stop if I'm elected in office, because one of the things that a governor can do is most of the age state agencies report to the governor. Well, the health department reports to the governor. So that means I can fire the health director, I can, I can freeze the, um, uh, med, uh, the California Medical Board, and I can put everybody under investigation and then and remove the state of emergency. So these are the things that I can easily do, and people can go to jail because it's willful complicitly. It, it, it's, they are being willfully complicit, and they are engaging in harm because they're not allowing for all the information to come out. They're not allowing people to, to freely um, have all the information readily available. Instead, Pfizer wants to have 75 years, or the FDA wants to allow Pfizer to have 75 years before all the information is, is released to the public. That's ridiculous. But yes, because there's a contract, because of that contract that they made with the states and the federal government, the courts kind of had their hands tied. So the courts have to kind of go along with the contract. So, yeah, it, so this is this is a big piecing it. Big, you know, I'm pulling all the puzzles together, all the pieces of the puzzle together, and releasing and showing people. Look, it's really hard for people to swallow this. I guarantee you're going to have listeners re-listen to this a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you're correct. I mean, I know you're correct because I I even heard you know just based on what you said, I've heard things like there's there's two or three different strains of vaccines there's a there's a there's a placebo there's one that's mild and then there's one full strength and uh just to let people know i've had two friends that that have died uh just out of the blue nothing wrong with them health fine one guy had a blood clot 
the other person just you know just got super sick i got a military friend with uh with lung disease he, he has a moving business and we were lifting some uh, item like 100 pounds not not too big of a deal we're both kind of you know muscular so 100 pounds is nothing for two people and he starts he starts breathing hard and i'm like dude you know what's up with the breathing he goes man i took the shot you know two months ago and now he's having you know breathing problems and he's a vet so he went to the va and had a cat scan and then i have a niece that uh took the shot because she wanted to keep her job as a nurse and she took the shot now she has a body rash that they can't fix so forget wow. about anyone who says you know this is not everybody's tripping and, and everybody's uh <clears throat> you know they're, they're uh they are um just fantasy not fantasizing but they're conspiracy conspiracy theorists forget about that this stuff is real and it's hurting people so here's my I got two more questions um the next one is how how can California residents still take back the state at the local levels because we see that they're not going to stop we see that these these Democrats or I call them communists are not going to stop yeah. and we now also see no. Hispanics rising to the occasion they're 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 saying even if we just came across the border five or ten years ago or maybe we've been here all over all of our life or maybe we are uh, 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 legal residents of the state. We don't like this. I'm hearing so many Hispanics say, you know, my family came from Mexico because of the problems we're seeing now in California and the rest of the country. So, Daniel, what can people do right now? Not 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 on Election Day, but right now, what can people do to to write this crooked ship? Oh, one of my favorite ones, as I tell people, is is the first most important thing that everybody can do right now is start recalling right now. Start recalling every single board of supervisor. Orange County slapped all five board of supervisors with a recall. Beautiful. Now they're starting to sing a new tune. But but that doesn't mean you stop. You follow through and you recall. Get in the prospect of understanding what it means to recall somebody, right? We did it with Gavin, and the paperwork was done right, and things went went great to get it all the way up to the voting area. That's a separate issue. First, recall, because most of us, most of us, and you know that do vote, tend to only focus on you know sort of the big names, right? We focus on the governor, we focus on the lieutenant governor, we focus on the president, the vice president, you know, and maybe one or two you know congressional representatives. We don't really pay attention to you know uh, state assembly, you know, assemb uh, senate, state senators and so on right down the line let alone you know maybe our board of super our board of supervisors and city councils right we don't really necessarily focus too hard on those start focusing those people right now start focusing on your city council start focusing on your board of supervisors and then slap them all with a recall right get that going when you remove those bodies already get ready people to take their place right so it's a it's kind of a double campaign one campaign is to remove because it is a campaign on its own and another is to get another person ready to fill those positions right team up with those people per county there's 58 counties right let's get in there and start recalling people immediately who cares when it happens where it's going to happen everybody complained about how much money we were spending and i told people i hate to tell you this but you know we as a nation have a 
they're over a $30 trillion deficit. That's never going to get paid off. It would cost anywhere between, depending on the census that you use, anywhere from 75000 to 150000 for every man, woman, and child to have to put in and pay that off. It's not going to happen. It, it, it will crash. It's just, you know, when is it going to crash, right? And that, again, that's a whole other topic for another time. But the point is to stop worrying about that. Get in there and get the, get that paperwork process going. It's not as difficult as people think it is. It's very simple. It's easy. You just have to, you just have to have enough gumption to start it and get going and then get those bodies in there. Um, another thing that we can do, number two that I tell people that we need to start doing is you need to start pressuring your, your, um, your attorney general, right? Your, your, uh, your, uh, not attorney general, your, uh, your district attorney. Your DA is voted in by the, uh, by the people. So you can vote them out as well. Now, we have a couple of bad ones like that's gone over in Los Angeles, right? So there's a few in same over in uh, San Francisco as well as uh, um, San Diego. But there are a lot of good ones. But you still have, you know, you've got your board of supervisors, city councils that are running amok. You need to go pressure your AG, your, your, your DA. Your district DA, your district attorney is the one that can write a cease and desist letter to your board of supervisors. Nobody does this. You need to go pressure them. Well, how do you pressure them? Same thing. They're not going to be voted in. You're, you can also have them put under investigation, right? Um, you, you can do this, and the people can investigate your, your, um, your district attorney, but no one's doing that. So go pressure them. And, and, what, and how you pressure them first is to provide affidavits, signed affidavits of witnesses who have seen their board of supervisors and the city council members violate the California Brown Act. And or uh, Article One, Section One, or Article One, Section Three. Just go get the California State Constitution. You will see immediately when you read the first few sentences how they've uh, they've already abused their authority. They have violated their oath, and they've engaged in violating the California Brown Act. And then hand that off to your your district attorney, and they are forced to have to write a cease and desist, which means they can't do any more engaging uh, with trying to pass any bills and laws without making it public first. Right? They can't put on any last-minute uh, things on the agenda to surprise everybody. And then they pass the bill, and they go, well, nobody said anything, so, well, okay, we're going to pass it. And, and uh, vote is, you know, five to one, great. And then, you know, whatever, four to one, and, and the bill is now passed, right? The local bills are passed. So this is why I tell people you need to go after your DA as well. Those, that, that is key right there. And then one of the other things when it comes to the integrity of our, of our election is you need to pressure all the employees that work under the California uh, clerk, right? So your California clerk and or registrate. Every county has one. So sometimes they're one and the same. Your registrate and your clerk, they're sometimes one and the same. Find out if yours has been, uh, is elected by the people and or appointed by the Board of Supervisors City Council members. So it's going to be one or the other. So you need to find out who they are and who the employees are. And you need to start pressuring the people who work in the office. It's not fun. It's not going to be easy. And it might seem like harassment, but the problem is is that we're not getting an integrity-driven election. And the people who work in these offices are eyes. If they want a fair, integrity-driven election, we need eyes in there. We need people to do the right thing. We need people to, to you know, uh, protest within the department because they have a voice in there because they work in there, as well as your county clerk. That county clerk has to be held accountable start investigating them so that they understand that all eyes are on them. And then lastly is get with our sheriffs. Sheriffs have a right to, you know, there's nothing that the city council can do. The sheriffs have a right to ensure that they are enforcing, you know, the Constitution and that all laws are agreeable. This is why we've had a few good sheriffs out in California that have told Gavin to take a flying kite because they weren't going to enforce his draconian mandates. They they know this. They know that they're the key, the, the, 
the uh, the safeguards of the Constitution. They know this. So so get with them to ensure that wherever there's ballot boxes, that um, they make their sheriffs aware that they're going to keep eyes on the ballot boxes. So anybody who picks up the ballot boxes to deliver them, that they're permitted to, you know, you know, be there, uh, observe, film, uh, you know, maybe even follow to ensure that it's getting delivered to where it needs to go to and not a hotel. I got photos. People sent me and said, "Hey, uh, th- these were these were shredded uh, ballots, uh, um, you know, filling up a whole, you know, hotel room mm. that were stolen." That you know, and I was like, "Well, again, there's nothing I can do about it, right?" Because we weren't we weren't there, we weren't ready. And then we need people that are our poll watchers when it comes to the polls. We need more to go into the areas where people are going in to go use the machines. Don't use the machines. You can have people stand outside and protest still peacefully and say, we don't recommend you do it. Here's why. Maybe go hand in your ballot. Go to the district. Go into the to the county clerk and actually write it in. Right. Get a get a paper ballot so you can hand it in. You are you are permitted that just because they passed the bill that it's indefinite for mail in ballots does not mean that you still can't go in and do it. Get people to be encouraged not to go and use the machines. And so this is just for starters. And so this is what I would encourage people to do to get heavily involved. Do not just sit around and think, well, I did my voting. That's not enough. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm telling people that uh, that politics is local. And we used to always hear that cliche you know, for many, many years thinking, oh, politics is local. But now we see it's the local officials that are causing us the most pain, misery, and destruction and uh, and I like to tell people, oh, I, I have this recommendation, and it's soon going to start. I'm, I'm starting to have people log into my site and subscribe uh, to my website, saying that they're interested. Uh, these city council people, these board of supervisors and school boards, we need to all send certified or registered certified mail. That's when you put the the green card and you put your you ask for a return. Uh, receipt and you put the little certified number on it and it might, might cost you about seven dollars but send thousands of those letters to each of the supervisors in the in, in your city in your district in your county yeah. and send those letters out because what it's going to do it's going to inundate them with so much uh it's gonna, they're going to they're need a lot of people to sign for these green cards and when you sign, send that letter just be very respectful you know, you're not following the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. We want you to follow the Constitution or you will not be reelected or you will be recalled. And that's it. Nothing, nothing negative, negative, no, nothing derogatory, nothing that will get you arrested. But send well, I also letters. want to say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I also want to add that as a new governor, what a lot of people don't know, too, is just that what I plan on doing if I'm elected is to um, – there's five bodies that sit on Cal Piers and Steers. They report to the governor. The governor appoints them. That's their retirement. And so a lot of people have quickly gotten out, too, because they don't want to be investigated. Well, you put me in office, I'm going to change out those bodies and reappoint new five members and freeze all of their assets and put under investigation how they got all that money and how they went from making 110, 15 a year to somehow they walked out a millionaire. That money is going to be frozen. And there's not a single judge that's going to put an injunction on that when we when we can show that there's malfeasance on the back end. And this is why I tell people, I'm like, you put me in, I'm going to freeze all that. Watch how fast these people, and people say, well, would you interfere at the local level? You bet. You bet, because they've already violated 
you know, their oath to the people and their constituents. So how are you going to make them do it? That's how you're going to make them do it. Because you're going to show where they've been taking back in through Cal Pierce and Sears because that money proves how much they're getting. Well, how'd they get all that? Yeah, here's a, here's a, here's a, I got one, I got a uh, question to ask you to close out, but why do you think Republicans are so apathetic when it comes to doing this, this thing, just in general? You mean like a Republican just constituents or representatives? Well, I mean, well, that's probably another show, but let's say the Republican <laughs> voter. The Cal- <laughs> I mean, I think you already talked about why the Republican uh, politician is maybe, uh, you know, not looking in the right direction. But it just seems like the California voter, maybe just nationally, the voters, maybe it's because you think, Daniel, that we work and we raise our families. We don't pay attention. We think that we have sent the people to California, uh, Sacramento. We've sent the people to Washington, D.C. to do the jobs, and we think that they're doing the job, but I believe a lot of the people are saying they're not doing the job. But why are we so apathetic about not wanting to get involved, you think? I think predominantly because um, most Republicans don't like conflict. We like a certain level of comfort, and we would rather... We're always the group that says we need to play fair, right? Let's do it by the book. Let's do it by the rules. Let's, let's, you know, let's not stoop to their lower level, you know, and pray. But that's just it. There's a time frame that we have to remove that and say, no, I need to get involved. I need to fight harder. I need to be uh, more engaged. I cannot just hand it off. I've got neighbors that have straight up told me, well, I only vote for the, for, you know, the rep- representative. I never really pay attention to the bills. But yet they complain about, you know, all the laws that have passed and, they, and they're like, you know, I can't stand how much taxes I have to pay because you didn't get involved, which means they don't like conflict and and they don't want to stoop to a level that they think is beneath them. So they leave it up to somebody else who's willing to do the dirty work right, or somebody else who's willing to kind of throw their neck out on the line to get the job done. And that's why I think this is what's happening. This is why I think Republicans don't truly want to engage. And not to mention, you know, um, I, I just feel I get a sense that everybody wants to just kind of give it to God. But God didn't say to just give it to him and do nothing about it. You got to meet him halfway. Right. And this is where most of us who are Republicans are conservatives. And if you're conservative, that means you have a faith based background. And so we simply say, well, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. You can't just pray about it. And then that's it. You have to still engage. You have to find where your niche is. And I think another reason, too, is just because Republicans don't know where they fit in an upside-down world now because it's completely opposite from what we grew up with, right? I grew up with, you know, treat you or do unto others, which is biblical, right? It's what Jesus told us to do, but it became what we call the golden rule. And then there's the, uh, I think, the Buddha rule, which is uh, what they call the silver rule, which is do not do unto others as you would not do them unto you. Well, I just took a, uh, you know, a test not too long ago about uh, how we are now having to have businesses do uh, sexual harassment training. And in their training, one of the questions was, do you think that, you know, treat others as you would have them treat you is a good rule of thumb? And my, and I've, I've seen that before many years. And I said, well, yes, it is. And the answer was wrong now. And the answer now is, is, well, actually, the real answer is you should, even though it might be a good rule of thumb, it's really best to treat others how they want to be treated. Well, so I want to be treated like royalty. 
Does that, does that mean everyone's going to treat me like royalty? Like, th- this is the confusion that we are entering in. And I think Republicans, conservatives, or Christians are having a difficult time as to how are we going to combat this? And they say, well, we're going to, you know, I'm just going to pray about it. That you need to engage. You can't just pray. You have to pray as to what it is that you're going to do. You need where do you fit in. Where are your skills at? Are you a good writer? Are you a good speaker? Are you a good blogger? Are you a videographer? Are you somebody that understands the law? Are you somebody who knows how to rally people together? Like, what are you good at so that we can start fighting back? You have to fight back, right? Jesus flipped those tables and he fought back. He went against the grain. Well, where are you going against the grain? Sitting on your hands doing nothing and simply putting a pen to paper is not enough. Holding, stand, even I tell people, listen, even when you go out to a crowd and you go on the, the you know, the corners and you hold up your sign. That's not enough. They're not listening. You can go to the Capitol. That's not enough. They're not listening. Now you have to engage, and it is that engagement where they clam up, where a lot of these Republican conservatives clam up because they don't know where they fit in, and they feel like, well, well, the Lord's going to tell me, right? Jesus is going to tell me. And it's like the man on the roof, the story of the, the man drowned where he stands on the roof, the flood comes, and people scream and take the law. And he says, no, 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 God's going to free me. And then a boat comes by, and they say, take the boat. And he says, no, 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 God's going to come and take me. And then a helicopter comes by, drops the ladder down, and they say, take the ladder, you don't drown. And he says, no, 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 God's going to save me. And the man drowns. And so they, they're not, they're refused to see where, you know, there's a sign where they're being invited to take the ladder. They have to take action too. All right. God's not going to just unzip the sky, open it up and then make it all good. You know, he's telling you, you have to engage. It is time to engage and Republican, conservative, faith believers now where they fit in. And I think that's why um, they are, we are at where we are at. Oh, now, you the person that, that, that had the uh, analogy about David and Goliath and the slingshot. Is that you that said that? Uh, no, not that enough. <laughs> well, I heard, this, I heard someone say this, that if that uh, back in the Old Testament, David took the slingshot and he, and he, and he killed Goliath with, with the rock. And someone said, I thought it was you, but I'll just tell you what I heard. If David and Goliath was fighting, was fighting now... David would be told to pray for Goliath. That he that he changes his <laughs> evil ways. Right. <laughs> I did. Wow. I, I thought that I was, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but but it fits it fits the the same you know analogies that you mentioned about the the person you know on the roof with the flood. So so Daniel, please close us out um, with some closing comments and how can Californians and the rest of the country support Daniel Mercury for governor. Well, thank you again for having me on. It's been a real pleasure, and I, I hope I can come back to and, and kind of give you a, a catch-up as to how the uh, how the campaign is running. But one of the number one things that I tell people is I I never wanted to ask for donations. Uh, when I ran for, for, for Congress, I ran on my own dime. When I was running during the special election, um, I didn't ask for anything. I mean, I have a donate button, and God bless everybody who donated to my campaign, but the majority of it came out of my pocket. And I have a difficult time asking for this because I know how hard people work for their money. But I absolutely cannot do this on my own dime. I do need people to support my campaign uh, by going to DanielForCalGovernor.com. There's a donate button right there. Uh, absolutely, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is. I do need this because it is it is difficult uh, financially. I'm still contributing to my own campaign, of course. But that's others. Um, 
is to help me out in that way. Number two, if you can't do that, one of the best things that I tell people is, is and it's free, is you can you can uh, share all of my videos. If you find if you go on my website at DanielForCalGovernor.com, you will see that I have a Rumble, a YouTube, BitChute, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Parler, Instagram, and I also have Telegram now. Feel free to go on all of those, whichever one that you like. I'm going to add more soon. I'm, I think I'll be adding Miwi and one other one. And and use whatever site that you like. I'm trying to record as many people as you can. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything, but it gets the word out about me. And then number three is if you are somebody who uh, owns a, a venue or you know a small business, a bar, a restaurant, uh, you know uh, you 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 are aware of somebody who has a facility and you would like me to come down, I will go and drive anywhere you need me to go if if you want me to come speak to you, whether it's you know one person or you know 500 people. I've I've done all of that. It's really helpful that people have those facilities or those places that they can point me to and help kind of arrange and set up. My team will call you and will you know get organized. But if you've got that, um, that would be amazing. Those are the best things that you can do to really help get the word out about my candidacy. Because I hate to tell people this, but even people uh, who have you know who are part of the CRA did not know for the last 20 years that they could go on the California.gov website under the Secretary of State's uh, section to look for the candidates who's who's already declared. They had no idea. My team was actually helping out a number of CRA groups up and down the state so that they knew who was running. They were waiting for the mainstream media to tell them who was running. And that's how sad and how difficult and how discombobulated we are on the conservative side, that we're, we are not up to par with this stuff. These are the best ways that you can is to go with sending out flyers, uh, going door to door, you know, poster cards. So these little things that you're willing to do would be immensely helpful. Uh, so that's why I tell people is, is if you really want me in there, this is how, this is how you can get in there. Well, uh, Daniel Mercury, I think the wind is behind is behind your back. I think a lot of things are going to come your way uh, with God's blessings and people taking action finally for the first time. So I want to thank you, Daniel Mercury, and his website is DanielForCalGovernor.com. That's Daniel, F-O-R, Cal, C-A-L, Governor.com. Daniel Mercury, take care. Make it a great day, and God bless. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye-bye. This call has been recorded.